0: A growing number of companies are struggling to cope with the many seismic shifts that are rocking global markets. In good times, even poor leadership can keep the ship afloat. But more turbulent times calls for enterprises to rethink their leadership. However, knowing you need to double down on finding the right people to lead your business and actually defining what kind of talent you need to get the job done is more challenging than it seems. It's led to a new way of looking at who might be the right talent and what might be the right personality traits and experience to take your organization from where it is to where you'd like it to be. I'm Jane Singer and thank you for joining me here on A Seat at the Table and being part of our global community of industry leaders. Today we have the pleasure of having Robert Jordan join us. Robert is co-founder and head of the leadership team at Interim Execs, a leadership executive matching firm that has helped fix global giants like Pepsi, Microsoft, UPS, and more by identifying the right leaders to step in during times of trouble or stagnation. His new book, Right Leader, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career, is the executive reader's one-stop guide to assessing their distinct leadership style and a step-by-step plan for optimizing that style to best suit their business and scale its growth. In this episode, Robert talks about how companies can stay afloat and thrive during periods of internal instability, how a company's leadership style and actions can help make or break a business, and why sometimes leaders can, and maybe even should, lean on their teams. Having the right leadership can be game-changing, but finding the right talent can take a lot of searching, especially in a fast-changing market. That's why top corporations and even smaller enterprises rely on Asianet consultants to help them fill key positions. Since 1988, Asianet has been working in partnership with its global clients to help them make the right strategic hires. They have a well-earned reputation, for being able to fill even those difficult to fill positions. So if you need to recruit new talent, or you think you might be doing that soon, head on over to their website, that's AsianetConsultants.com, AsianetConsultants.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now let's sit down with Robert and find out what kind of person we need to lead our organizations through these uncertain times. Robert, I'm really happy that you're able to join us here on A Seat at the Table. Leadership is a topic that is so important to almost everybody who is listening to this show. We're all facing a lot of challenges these days. Of course, the pandemic really challenged everybody. But even in the post-pandemic era, everyone thought things would just go back to normal. But actually, that hasn't really been the case. So everybody is trying to think about What can we do? How can we do better? How do we manage in what seems to be increasingly uncertain times? So I'm really happy that you're able to join us and discuss what you're seeing and and your point of view.
1: Thanks so much, Jane, it's an honor.
0: So in your book, Right Leader, Right Time, you discuss how companies can stay afloat and thrive during periods of internal instability, which is so timely. If a leader is facing a challenging internal situation, what steps would you advise them to take?
1: It's a great question, Jane. The first thing we would say is there is no more generic leader. All of the work we've done, what we discovered is these four distinct leadership styles, fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. So the first thing we would say to that board or that organization is if you are facing a crisis, do you have a fixer leader who in fact is there? That's the starting point. Right. And from there, you would move on. And this is not to say that anybody has to get fired, that anybody did anything bad. Great leaders tend to be collaborators, better at collaboration, collaboration on steroids. Everybody says they're a great collaborator. The majority of leaders are not. The majority of leaders tend to be a little bit career insecure, not so confident, and that leads to a host of problems. That was the reason why we did the book, because over the years, given the work that we do, we've been approached by about 7,000 executives from 50 countries. Wow. And the vast majority of those executives are experiencing careers and leadership journeys that are just okay. They're not great, they're not Mm -hmm. exceptional. And then you look at the top couple percent of leaders who are remarkable, just having, oh my gosh, results, just incredible results and experiences. And there were these vast differences. We had to write about that.
0: Now you talk about how a leader's leadership style and actions can help make or break a business as leaders. What do we need to be aware of with regard to how we lead?
1: Well, it's a great question. And, and first to get back to, it's a little bit of know thyself, right? So, you know, if you're on a leadership track, it's not that this is the first thing you've done in life. You are on some kind of journey. And exceptional leaders tend to have higher self awareness of what that journey is. And over time, they will tend to double down within what is a dominant leadership style. So Jane, you and I, for example, even just, you know, knowing each other not that long, I can already tell you have an expertise, right? Well, thank you. The majority of leaders show track records that are not all that measured, not all that accountable, and tend not to be highly differentiated. The flip side is that an accomplished fixer leader or artist leader, or builder leader, or strategist leader, tends to have a career that is held more to account, that has more measurable results, and in which they have tended over time to double down, they have tended over time to reject that which is not for their highest and best use. We're very big on this phrase, highest and best use, and that if you want to have a remarkable career, you need to look to your own voice, to the mission that you're on. We say this when we were first working on this. The book took five years. We first were talking to a book agent about it. He said, well, I don't know that my career, and he's a phenomenal agent, He said, I don't know that my career necessarily had huge direction. I said, well, let's just look at it he'd been in business for many years. As he went through it, he started saying, you know, there is a track. He said, in the beginning, I didn't know what I was gonna do, but there was a track and it became more and more formed as he became more and more successful and reinforced. And that's what you tend to see with success.
0: Now you, you talk about highest and best use. Can you tell us a little bit what you mean by that? Take us a little deeper into that.
1: Highest and best use you know some people could object to the phrase but it kind of jung or freud they said you want to boil down life and it's two things it's love and it's work (laughs) and that the greatest human expression is is can you get better at love and loving relationships and and meaningful work right this thing that will absorb you and captivate you and and i've been in a particular field now and it dawned on me the other day that it was 25 years, I run a company called Interim Execs. And at some point it was like, oh my God, I've become committed. Like this has become my calling and it has nothing to do with the money anymore. Right. It's just that there's this mission that, you know, as long as I get to be around, I just have to keep on doing this and expressing it. And so you see this with successful people, which is there's an arc to their careers and there's this kind of mission they're on It applies to anything you look at, missions of companies, missions of countries. Can I give you another example? Sure. Highest and best use very much has to do with this core of a person, your own authenticity. Okay. Your authenticity, your genuineness to yourself and to the world. A buddy yesterday was telling me, he's in a public company, American public company, and it's an all-hands-on-deck Zoom call, thousands of people. The wow. CEO is on. And he's very just trying to be sincere, and we're all in this together. And now that COVID is over, we have to all get back into the to the headquarters. Right. Headquarters is on the East Coast. Most of the workers, they're not well paid. And when they got to work partially remote, it saved on gas. It was more efficient. Blah blah blah. Everyone on that call, thousands of people on that call know that the CEO lives 2,000 miles away from the headquarters. But he's telling all of them they have to go into the office. How glaring does the hypocrisy have to be to understand that this leader is not exhibiting any form of genuine sense of concern or the the why of what it is that they're doing? Is that leader in the highest and best use? I doubt it.
0: Well, you touch on a very important point and a point that has become much talked about recently across many, many different channels. And that is that sense of rules for thee, but not for me, which is something that I think a lot of leaders are being taken to task for that. So it's interesting that you brought that up.
1: They should be taken to task. And it is, it's just, we we live in an age with so much social media that everyone is like, like yeah you get it <laughs> but you're not living it. right you're not living it there are many people and the examples kind of abound I mean part of it is I'm so aware to it because we spent five years researching and interviewing and writing a book but it's it just the, the example I, I could keep piling them up right so you know the sense of leadership as something that can continually be improved yes it's right out there for all of us
0: I think that's one of the reasons why it's so interesting that you're talking about some of these things because I think there's a lot to unpack on what makes a good leader and something that I think we really need to revisit, so to speak, because I think that maybe we've lost sight of that and I don't know what you're seeing from your point of view. But when I was growing up, perhaps it was the day and age or where I grew up or or who knows. But leadership was really something that was taught. It was valued right from primary school. And I don't know, do you think people are being taught how to be good leaders and what the values are and so forth?
1: Well, we would say there is a vast difference based on your dominant leadership style. So for example, fixer, which is the urge to go into the burning building time after time. Artist, right. which is this compelled style of you view the world as a canvas. Builder, this this insatiable need to dominate a market, leave, go do it all over again. Those three um, are very different from the strategist style. Strategist is leader at scale in complex, or or vast organization beyond personal span of control. And the language between the four leaders is vastly different. But the strategist leader, that's the leader who is loyal, who expresses gratitude to an organization, who has very primary kind of feelings around mentoring and being mentored, gratitude towards an organization. You don't hear that from fixers, artists, and builders. Fixers, artists, and builders tend to be in teams of 50 or 100 or 150 but where there's personal relationships come into play and so it does depend on how you're wired in terms of where you should be
0: right I think that's interesting now how can you If you're running an organization and you're looking to either employ people in leadership roles or you have people and you're looking to see how you can identify their leadership style and then perhaps better place them within the organization, how would you be sort of vetting each individual or assessing each individual?
1: Well, more and more, our hope or our goal is that that awareness comes around these differences in style. And the first practical thing is, on a, on a team or within a company, is have the conversation. Because the more that I can get to know you, Jane, and where you are just singing, where you're just in your happy place, the team, the organization is going to do better, and it's going to be the same for me. So, for example, I am wired so strongly as an artist leader, and artist leaders, in some cases, it's to their peril. This this compulsion, this need to create or innovate is not necessarily always a plus in terms of income, career, fame, all of these things. But if I'm on your team and to know that about me, we can make a stronger team to figure out your best skills and my best because they're going to be complementary.
0: So then you suggest that you would pair two people with different leadership styles to complement each other?
1: Within a team, absolutely, one of the psychologists we interviewed, he had a phrase, he said, on a team, you need to be spiky. And what he (laughs) meant by that is if you looked at a graph and it had 100 traits, qualities, abilities, descriptions of things you needed from, say, 10 people on a team, no one is great at everything. I'm not going to be spiky across a range of everything. But I can be a creative. I can contribute to the team if I have my own set of spikes and you've got your set of spikes. And and more and more, I think what it points to is is that those managers or leaders in the team, they have to be a creative too. Because the more that technology comes into play to take care of routine things, the more that AI comes into play in the workplace. A manager who is simply sitting around saying, how you doing today? What are you working on? Right. That's a base level thing that many companies is outmoded, irrelevant, unnecessary. And so that leader, they have to be a creative on the team too. One of the leaders we interviewed for the book was a senior manager at Google, and he ran a team in the hundreds, which is big for Google. Now, if you think of Google, they're relentlessly automating. His team, hundreds of people charged with a mission to obsolesce themselves every 18 months wow that they would take a human task and they had to figure out how to automate it but it was not that google had this this desire to say thank you you're all out of a job that's not what they would do success was that you have to be confident enough build the solution to automate and you will all move on to other Mm -hmm. projects that's a radically different way of thinking about work and teams and success than used to exist
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it is. It's a very bold move and it takes a tremendous leap of faith to get on board for that. But you're right, it it is the way forward. So especially as technology, as you're pointing out quite rightly, is taking over a lot of those repetitive tasks. You mentioned that there are times when leaders can and maybe even should lean on their teams, What might those situations look like and and what boundaries should leaders keep in mind so that they still retain their role as a leader?
1: It's a great question. We had a set format. We interviewed a lot of leaders for the book and there was a set format. And at a certain point, we talked about the thesis for the book, these four leadership styles, fixer, artist, builder, strategist, and the reactions. And we knew how most of those people were wired and so, for example, it would be common to hear strategist leaders. These are people in charge of organizations, complex, thousands of employees. And most of those strategist leaders would say, you know, as you're saying this, I have played different roles and we're all combinations of style. Any successful leader, we're not trying to pigeonhole into one. But what they would typically say is, of course, I've been in fixer mode because we've had problems and yes, I was in builder mode, but I'm the strategist role. They said, the one thing where I really have to be sure to have around me is artist mode. And one of the leaders we interviewed was a key lieutenant to Andy Grove. Andy Grove, probably the most legendary CEO of Intel. Wow. And Andy Grove described this leader as his wild duck. <sighs> and what he meant is, and he said, you have to have a wild duck on your team. And what he meant is, you got to have the person who is renegade, cranky, outspoken, doesn't agree with everyone, is not a yes man. It, it just will, and, and they could bug you beyond belief, but you've got to have them on there if there's this, if they have this ability to make creative and innovative leaps. So so that's one example of how you, how you would look to complementary styles.
0: Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's easy to talk about these different styles, but it becomes a, a little more, I would say, complex, for lack of a better word, to actually execute on that in organization with multiple different personality types in a, a dynamic environment.
1: Yes. One of the problems we all have in business is that we assume because somebody did one thing great, they can do everything great. And right. that's absolutely not true. And in other walks of life, we see so clearly the opposite. So for example, uh, in medicine, Jane, if you tell me you got a pain in your foot, I am not going to tell you to go see a cardiologist. I'm going to say, you know, I know a great podiatrist for you. Right. So specialization in medicine, what is it? 200 specialties. And the (laughs) end result is, you know, increases in longevity and, and health and fitness. And there is that specialization, which makes sense. Law. Law is not just one thing. If you need to go to court, well, I'm recommending a litigator to you. I am not recommending maritime or patent or or, uh, family law. It just, and yet in business, it's still so undifferentiated. And uh, we need to get past that
0: yeah that's interesting that's a good point and no one else has really brought that up before in those terms but i think you're right i think that we have to look at business leadership as specialties within a particular sector right not just leadership but specialties as you're pointing out within that role of leadership
1: yes one of the leaders we interviewed when we got to the point of of the concept, fixer, artist, builder, strategist, he said, you know, as you're saying that, he said, I was an investor in a company and it wasn't doing well. And the CEO we had was phenomenal. And he said, you know, but after he solved all the problems, he wasn't so good anymore. Right. And I was like, well, you know, one we have a quote in the book from one of the leaders. He said, you know, if I put a fixer into my company, one of my companies and it's not broken, he'll break it. <laughs> just so we can think. Now, if you're not a fixer leader, I would think that's an insult. Just right. for fun, as we were doing the interviews, a, a number of the fixer leaders interviewed in the book, we told them that quote. I thought, are they gonna curse me out? Are they gonna right. hate that? Right. To a man and woman, they said, well, what's the matter with that?
0: Maybe oh, you interesting. Need to be
1: broken. And broken. And I thought, oh my God, you are all so wired to your own style. Right. But to know that is, is very freeing and mm-hmm. confidence building. And to just know, put yourself into your highest and best use. Right,
0: I think that's a very good point. Well, Robert, you shared so many interesting things and you've brought a lot of interesting points to the table. How can, how can people connect with you? I think a lot of people would love to be able to read your book. I think people would love to be able to connect with you. Where can we find you?
1: Thank you, Jane. I can be reached at InterimExecs.com. Okay. And we're also launching a free, Fixer Artist Builder Strategist is, we're launching a free three-minute assessment, FAB's Leadership Assessment at RightLeader.com.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to include all those links in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. I've learned a tremendous amount from speaking with you. I think everyone listening to this probably has
1: too. Thank you, Jay, it's been a pleasure.
0: A big shout-out to our sponsor, Asianet Consultants. Asianet is a specialist in recruiting top talent in Asian markets. Since 1988, Asianet has been working in partnership with its global clients to help them make the right strategic hires. They have a well-earned reputation for being able to fill even those difficult-to-fill positions. To learn more about how Asianet Consultants can help you find the best talent, check out their website at asianetconsultants.com. That's asianetconsultants.com. Thank you for joining me here on A Seat at the Table. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something from it, I'd love to hear about it. If you'd like to support the show, please hit the subscribe button. And if you can take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or other channels, that would be fabulous. And check out our podcast website, where you can find all of the episodes of A Seat at the Table and Launch to Legendary. That's seatpodcast.com. S-E-A-T podcast.com. And if there's something you'd like to share, ideas, suggestions, or comments, please feel free to reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining me here today and being part of our professional community. I'm Jane Singer, and I'll see you in the next podcast.